Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's a beautiful Sunday. We're grateful for your presence. We hope that you will come back if you have the opportunity, if you're visiting. We're always very grateful to have visitors with us. I know that we are in vacation season, so we've got a lot of folks that are coming and going. And if you are here today because you are vacationing and you are traveling to or from a particular place, we hope and pray that you'll have a safe journey. And if you have the opportunity, please come back and be with us again. If you are here and looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our church family. We are going to be looking at Luke chapter 23, specifically verse 33 and following in our lesson text today. And we're going to be talking today about the theme, so close and yet so far away. I want you to imagine with me this morning, if you would, for a moment or two, that before the sun sets today, you'll be in eternity. Before the sun sets, you will be in eternity. For some of us, it's a frightening thought. The reason being because, quite frankly, we know we're not prepared. For others, however, there's no fear, no sense of faithlessness, but a deep conviction that we would be ushered into the presence of God. You know, I think about people that are on death row. They know the end is coming. As that time approaches, what a sense of hopelessness, a sense of helplessness. There are a lot of people in our world today, if you were to ask them, do you have hope for the future? You know what they'd say? Don't have any. It's just day-to-day existence. I want you to think with me about what Luke records in chapter 23, verse 33. In this context, we have a picture of three individuals who have made their way to a place called Calvary. And they're going to be put to death In one sense of the word, there is no hope that they're going to get out of this circumstance alive. They're about to step out into eternity. And so Luke said, when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified them and the criminals, one on the right hand, and the other on the left. If we were to have made that trek to Calvary, and had we stood at the foot of the cross of Jesus, we would have visibly seen the other two criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. They were all three being executed on the same day. 
What can we learn from going back to Calvary and looking at these three individuals as they face, as we sometimes say, the death penalty? On that central cross, we see a man who is dying for sin, a man by the name of Jesus. He is identified as the King of the Jews. On this cross, we have what typically might be called the cross of redemption. In order to appreciate this cross, we've got to know something about the one who is on that cross. I said a moment ago, He is Jesus. He is identified as the King of the Jews. His work, His mission, had been outlined by God before the world began. John speaks of Him as the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. When Joseph heard the news from that angel of God in the long ago about the conception of the one called Jesus. He was informed that that which had been conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. The angel said, She shall bring forth a son and call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. This is the one of whom Isaiah had said centuries earlier, would be identified as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. John talked about the pre-incarnate Christ, that is, Jesus before He inhabited human flesh. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And John writes in verse 14 of chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When we peer into the eyes of the One who was on the cross of redemption, firsthand we see the One who ultimately is dying for the sins of the world. Do you remember John the Baptist? Upon seeing Jesus on one occasion said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And John would later write in chapter 1 about the affirmation of John the Baptist when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And he said, With regard to that Lamb, this is the Son of God. We're not talking about just a mere man here. But rather, we're talking about the divine Son of the living God. In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked, Who do men say that I am? They said, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Some, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he wanted to know, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. That's the one we're talking about on the central cross. The Son of the living God. And when you think about the Son of the living God on that central cross, you have to understand something about, you have to understand something about 
the suffering that accompanied him to Calvary. You know, the Bible tells us in John chapter 19, in verse 1, that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The scourge was a terrible form of punishment. They would take leather straps. There would actually be about three leather straps. And knotted in those leather straps would be fragments of bone or bronze. My understanding is that when a man was crucified, they would strip him to his waist, they would bend him over, and they would literally flay him. Would have been a very heartless and heart-wrenching thing to have experienced, to to have observed, and yet Jesus was scourged for us, wasn't He? Matthew tells us that He was beaten, slapped, they spat upon Him, and then as they came to Calvary, Luke said it was there that they crucified Him. They took those spikes and drove them through the hands and feet of Jesus and lifted Him up. So yes, I think about His suffering. And Peter said that Jesus has suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again, when He suffered, threatened not, but rather committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. And Peter said that He bore our sins in His body on the cross. You need to understand something about not just the suffering of Jesus, but we're talking about the sinlessness of the one on that central cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of David, the Son of God. The Bible tells us in John chapters 18 and 19 that Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and if you examine the record, you'll see that Jesus stood before the high priest Caiaphas. He stood before Annas. He was taken to Pilate and then to Herod and back to Pilate. Three times Pontius Pilate said of Jesus, I find no fault in this man. One time he said, I find no, fa- I find no fault at all in this man. Pilate recognized something about the sinless disposition of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that as Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, that he asked those who were assembled on that occasion, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That is a question that you have to answer. It's a question everyone has to answer. What will you do with Jesus who's called the Christ? That is a personal question. 
It is a very pointed question. And it is a profound question. Because ultimately, whether you live or die spiritually is woven together in that question, isn't it? And don't you find it somewhat ironic that as Jesus stood before Pilate on that occasion, and Pilate wanted to know, are you a king? And Jesus asked, are you speaking this for yourself or did someone else tell this to you about me? Jesus would then say, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Pilate, the one before whom Jesus stood, now has his own date with destiny. Did you know that one day the tables will turn? Pontius Pilate will stand before Jesus. And the Lord Jesus Christ will render a verdict on the life of Pontius Pilate. Paul would say, Him who knew no sin, He became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Was Jesus sinless? Yes. The sinless Son of God. And then you remember as they made their way to Calvary, The Bible tells us that Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross, didn't He? They compelled a man by the name of Simon from Serene to bear His cross. That's significant. Because Jesus was not bearing His cross, He was bearing our cross. We're talking about the substitutionary death of Jesus for the sins of the world. The vicarious suffering and death that Jesus experienced for us. What was it Peter said? He bore our sins in His body on the cross. The Lord Jesus had no cross because He had no sin. But rather, He bore our cross. The fact of the matter is, all of the human family, all of the human family, lived under the verdict of death. Because Paul said, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we're talking about the sinless Son of God on that central cross. The one who was lifted up for the human family. The cross of redemption. A man dying for sin. And the man dying for sin was Jesus Christ. Now there was another person put to death on that day, identified as a criminal. Some translations tell us that he was a thief, a malefactor. Because Luke said, when they came to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. On this cross, we have a man who is dying in sin. The cross of rebellion. This man is a rebel, isn't he? This man is paying. Paying for a life of crime. Paying for a life of sin and unrighteousness. 
I have no idea knowing how long this man had been a criminal. I'm not sure the extent of his crimes, but I know this, this individual is facing execution by the Romans. He's dying because of crimes committed. And didn't Solomon write in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, the way of the transgressor is hard. When people choose to live in sin, they may have the idea that ultimately they can get off scot-free, but the fact of the matter is, there is always a payday coming someday, isn't there? There's a payday someday. You know, there are people today there are folks today who have chosen to live a life, the life of a rebel. They really don't have any use for God. They're not interested in His Word. They're not interested in being a follower of Jesus. And they'll tell you right up front, I love the world. And I like the pleasure and the gratification and what the world has to offer. There's something about it that I just can't get enough of. Let me tell you, that. It's a common picture in the world in which we live. You remember, there was a fellow who passed away not long ago that many of us, we know his name. He was a household name. His name, Hugh Hefner. You remember him? The founder of Playboy magazine. Hugh Hefner was a hedonist. His life was all about the world. Interesting life. Sad life. He was a rebel. He lived a life of rebellion. He wasn't interested in spiritual things. I read where he talked about having to somehow loosen himself from the moral principles that had constrained him earlier in life. Well, let me tell you what, you can choose to live like a rebel. This man lived the life of a rebel. And as Jesus was lifted up on that central cross, a man dying for sin, here we have a man who is dying in sin. Could I ask you today, what's the worst thing that could happen to you in life? What's, worth, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen to you in life? Would it be the loss of a spouse? Would it be the loss of a child? I can't imagine losing a child. Can you? I have known people that have buried their children. And I can tell you right now, it is gut-wrenching. I have stood at the cemetery and I have looked at a small coffin lying over an open grave knowing full well that that baby has gone to be with the Lord but still understanding that that is somebody's baby. And to be able to walk away from that gravesite can't even begin to imagine. 
Would that be the worst thing that could happen to you? Be bad. It'd be bad. So what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Could I tell you what the worst thing that could happen to you? The absolute worst of the worst of the worst is if you die in sin. Did you know that? Because Jesus said, if you die in sin, where I am, there you cannot come. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, hands extended, and I think about that one hand, extended to this man who is on the cross of rebellion, a man dying in sin. Didn't have to die in sin, did he? This man was a rebel. Not only was he a rebel, but he was a reviler. Note if you would what our text says in Luke chapter 23. In verse 39, the Bible says, One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Was he not questioning the sonship of the one on that central cross? If you are the Christ, yes, He's the Christ. Yes, He's the Son of God. He questioned the sonship of Jesus. Not only did He question His sonship, He questioned His sovereignty. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you're the Son of God, save yourself and us. Could Jesus have saved Himself? Yes, He could. Jesus said that had He wanted to, He could have summoned twelve legions of angels to His side. A Roman legion consisted of some five to 6,000 troops. And Jesus is saying like that, He could have 72,000 troops at His side. 72,000 angels. But that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's purpose. So this man questioned the very one on that central cross. Had you been on one of those crosses, the cross of rebellion, would that be a fitting portrait of you? Would you have gone out in a blaze of glory spitting venom and vile into the face of the very Son of God. Salvation was so close, but so far away. You know, when I think about the Lord Jesus being lifted up on Calvary's cross and you've got a criminal, a male factor on one side and a criminal and a male factor on the other side, would it not be the case that they were both within similar proximity to the very Son of God? I mean, here's one on this side, here's another on this side, and Jesus is in the center. And this man is a rebel. And he is a reviler. And he is dying in sin. And I want to say to you today, there is nothing worse than dying in sin in sin because as Jesus said if you die in sin where I am there you cannot come can you imagine being lost forever in what we call a devil's hell 
And can you imagine hearing Jesus say on, one, on, on that great and final day, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? I mean, think about, here's a man that is so close to Jesus, and yet so far away. This man had the same opportunity as the other thief, didn't he? Same opportunity. One day he'll stand before the Lord. He'll hear those words, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. There's a third cross. On this third cross is a man dying to sin. I would call it the cross of repentance. Now, in our lesson text, look at verse 40. When the rebel said to Jesus, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us, the other thief, by now this man is softening. Initially, they had both they had both cast insults into the Son of God. They had heckled the Son of God just as that angry mob had. But now he's beginning to soften. His heart is becoming tender. And the Bible says in verse 40, he rebuked that other thief. And he said, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. You know what he was saying? He's saying, my friend, we are guilty. We're guilty. We are here because of crimes that we have committed. We are being executed today because we have lived the life of a criminal. And as Solomon said, the way of the transgressor is hard the consequences of a life of sin. And there are people today that think they can turn their nose up at God. They'll never have to give an account of anything. I got news. Paul said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. And the idea is to turn the nose up at. And Paul is saying, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow bad seed, you're going to reap a bad harvest. You sow good seed, well, you know the other side of the story. So this man recognizes there's something to this Jesus. There's something to the one who is on this central cross. And so note, if you would, the realization. <clears throat> he just said, this man's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing amiss. Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you think possibly this man had heard John the Baptist preaching? Is it possible, is it remotely possible that this man may have even submitted to the baptism of John? I don't know that he did, but I can't say that he didn't. I do know Matthew says that those who were in Jerusalem, Judea, and the region around the Jordan came out to John. They were baptized by him confessing their sins. John preached repentance for the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 4. He had to know something about Jesus, had to know something about the kingdom. So did that light come on and all of a sudden he starts thinking, you know what, there's something too. This man on that central cross. There's something to the sinless being that I'm dying with on this occasion. There is realization. And add to that realization, there is a request. He said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Had you been on the cross to the side of Jesus? Would that have been your request? Would you, want, would you have wanted Jesus to remember you? Now we talk about the cross of redemption. That's Jesus, a man dying for sin. The cross of rebellion, that's a man dying in sin. But we're talking about the cross of repentance, a man dying to sin. He recognizes there's something special about this one on the central cross. The realization, the recognition that this is the Son of God, and then that simple request. Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Wouldn't you want mercy? Wouldn't you want pardon? Wouldn't you want to know that, you know what, I'm not getting out of here alive, but I know this, I can go to a better place. I can go be with the Lord. That's what He wanted. And do you remember the reply? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now there are a lot of people that have a lot of questions about the thief on the cross. And they want to know, why did Jesus save him without being baptized? Well, I said a moment ago, maybe he was Baptized according to John's baptism? I don't know. I do know that Jesus said in Mark chapter 2, verse 10, that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. We're talking about the Son of God, the sinless Son of God. Did He have the right, did He have the authority to forgive this man's sins on this occasion, on this day? Yes, He did. But I think the most compelling argument is the Great Commission hadn't been given he was dying under an old covenant, wasn't he? Jesus is identified as the testator of the new covenant. The new covenant. Jesus shed his blood for the establishment of that covenant. Today when people, when people identify with the Lord, become New Testament Christians, they have to do what they did on Pentecost Day, and that is to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Now think about it for a minute. Jesus is on this central cross. And on one side, you've got a man dying in sin. On another cross, you have a man dying to sin. The Lord Jesus' hands are extended to both thieves, aren't they? Same proximity. Same opportunities. They both have the opportunity to be saved. One is, one isn't. So close so far away. 
You know, there are people like the thief who died to sin, who recognize the errors of their way. They recognize, you know what, I've made a mess of my life. I need a better life. And so that outstretched hand of Jesus is taken. They accept His terms of pardon and they become one of His children. But then like the other thief, there are those, the hand of Jesus is extended. And that hand is open. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Remember Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. The Lord Jesus has his hand out. But there are a lot of folks that are just not interested. They're not willing to take the outstretched hand of Jesus. What about you today? The Lord Jesus had his, hand, his hands outstretched. One man took the hand of Jesus. The other man said no to it. Which one of those two thieves would you say best represents you in life? If you're here today and you haven't become a Christian, I want you to know, and I want you to, I want you to know this because this is what the Bible says. If you've never obeyed the gospel, you're living a life of rebellion. And you need to know that you don't have any hope. You don't have any promises. You don't have one hope beyond this life. Do you understand what I'm telling you? If you die where you are, you'll be lost. You will be lost forever in a devil's hell, and you don't want that. You don't want to be separated from your family. You don't want to be separated from your friends. You don't want to be separated from the presence of God forever. You need to obey the gospel. You need to do it today. Paul said today is a day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have this evening. On the other hand, if you're here today and you recognize, you know what? I'm a sinner. I'm lost. And I need the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus in my life today. What would you need to do? Do what they did on Pentecost. The terms of admission have not changed. Repent. Be baptized. And the Bible says God will wash away all your sins. Acts 22, 16. When it's all said and done, what will be said of you? So close? yet so far away? Will you take the hand of Jesus? I want, you to, I want you to know today as we close, if you're here and you're scared to walk down this aisle to be baptized into Christ, I promise you I'll meet you at the back if you want me to. I don't care. Wherever you are, you want me to come to you, I'll come to you. The Lord Jesus' hand, it's extended to you today as we stand and sing.